So as many of you know, we have started a new series within the church uh, where we are each week looking at the book of Daniel. We took a break from that last week as we enjoyed a very important message from Dr. Olson to our church and helping us really navigate continuously who is king in our lives. Well, today we're going to continue, and we're going to be in chapter 2 of Daniel. So we'll be reading approximately 12 verses today, maybe 13 verses today, in Daniel chapter 2, starting in verse 1, if you want to start turning your Bibles there. Um, now, I do have something to let you guys know, and I know it may come as a shock to you guys, but I am getting older. And I feel myself getting older. Okay, yes, I know there's some laughter in the room. But it's true. I am getting older. And it's not just because I'm seeing a little bit more gray hair in the mirror. It's not because my children are outpacing me in many things in life. It's really something, honestly, I don't know exactly when it happened, but I'm noticing it more and more that I'm getting older. And the signs of this are that I'm looking at the generation that is following up from me, and I'm starting to go... These kids have no taste in music. <laughs> they wouldn't know real music if it hit them in the face. What are these kids wearing these days? This looks ridiculous. I think that is a sign to me that I'm getting older. I never thought this moment would come, but here it is. I'm getting older. Another thing that I've been noticing as I've been getting older is this incredible phenomenon that we see within our society called being an influencer. Has anybody ever heard of this term before? Austin, could you help me out? Have you heard of this before, an influencer? Right, so if you do not know what it means to be an influencer, it's very easy. It's someone who influences, okay? I know that I'm not supposed to define a word by itself, but it is as simple as that. It's somebody in our society who is praised for having many, many followers on social media and for those people to consume their content. That's what it means to be an influencer, and it is on the rise. In fact, if you ask young people what they want to be occupationally, you might even hear them say, well, one day I want to be an influencer. Influencer. I want to be famous. I want to be known for being famous. It's an odd thing, church. And I look at that, and in my old man self, I go, this is weird. <laughs> and maybe you've looked at my generations or other generations and thought the same thing. But here's the reality, church. There's really nothing new under the sun, as Solomon tells us. That even though society might change, ultimately people really don't. And the same things that you see in your generation, I see in my generation, and the generation to follow, cer certainly, of course, there are their differences. But for the most part, human nature is human nature. And we all have been listening to different influences within our own lives. Today I want to talk a little bit about what it means to be an influencer or what it means to be taken by influence. So to do that, we're going to be looking at Daniel chapter 2, as I said earlier, specifically verses 1 through 13. So let's go ahead and go to God's word together. 
Daniel 2.1. I still need to flip there myself. Here we go. In the second year of his reign, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams. His mind was troubled, and he could not sleep. So the king summoned the magicians, enchanters, sorcerers, and astrologers to tell him what he had dreamed. When they came in and stood before the king, he said to them, I have had a dream that troubles me, and I want to know what it means. So just a little bit of context here. The reason why we're in this nation or in this place of Babylon is because of what? Because Israel was sieged and they took some exiles out of Jerusalem on the map here into a land called Babylon. Eric, if you don't mind putting that map slide that I have on the screen. So in that green box right there, that's where Jerusalem is. And they took some exiles into a nation called Babylon. The king there is not a Jewish king. He's not a king that believes the things of Israel. In fact, he believes in different gods that we would not approve of. So this king has a dream. He's a relatively new king, only in his second year, and this dream troubles him. So it goes on to say in verse 4, Then the astrologers answered the king, May the king live forever. Tell your servant the dream, and we will interpret it. Okay, so, so far you have a very confident group of magicians, enchanters, or what we would maybe term these people as wise men. You see, these people would be in the king's court. So much like today, where a president or a leader of a nation might have advisors or people within their own cabinet, we might call it, so were these people. It wasn't that they just called, you know, the the local local fortune teller to come on over and help them with this dream. These people would have been within the court of the king. So he calls these people over to help him out with this dream. And they immediately reply that they will be able to do it. That they will be able to interpret the dream. But listen to what happens next in verse 5. After this court of wise men are very confident that they'll be able to help the king out. Verse 5 and 6 says this. The king replied to the astrologers, this is what I have firmly decided. If you do not tell me what my dream was and interpret it, I will have you cut into pieces and your houses turned into piles of rubble." So this is a very even-tempered person, right? (laughs) So what is he basically saying here? If you cannot solve my dream, if you cannot tell me what my dream is, and then tell me the interpretation of my dream, I'm going to have you killed, and I'm going to have every single ounce of your history erased, and I'm going to burn down your homes. But and then, of course, he's very kind and replies in verse 6, But if you tell me this dream and explain it, you will receive from me gifts and rewards and great honors. So tell me the dream and interpret it for me. Could you imagine finding yourself in that place? You know, each time I read the story, if I'm going to be honest, I feel kind of bad for the wise men. 
I, I can't imagine what it's like to find myself in a position like that. I can't imagine if I had a boss who kind of gave me an ultimatum like that, although I'm sure some of you might have a boss that maybe feels a little similar to this on their expectations of you in life. So maybe you can just relate in some small senses. But this is a big ask, right? He's asking a lot. And in many ways, this is very intimidating if you were in a situation like this and you had to, out of thin air, basically read the mind of somebody in front of you. You almost wonder why the king is doing this. And I can't help but wonder, why is King Nebuchadnezzar making this request in the first place? And furthermore, is there a reason why he's making the stakes so high? You know, I think there's a few theories that we can develop. I know there's a few theories that Bible scholars have applied in trying to figure out the purpose of this story. And I'm just going to share a couple of theories that I think resonate with me. And uh, one of those theories is, is that I think King Nebuchadnezzar could have forgotten his dream. Have you ever woken up from a dream before and just totally forgot what that dream was? But maybe that feeling that you had from the dream still lingers? Maybe that's what's going on here. Maybe King Nebuchadnezzar forgot the dream, but remembers that it troubled him and wants these wise men to reveal the dream that he had along with the interpretation. That could be a reason why he's requiring them to do something so bold. Another theory that I have that I think may be what is going on here, if I were to place a bet on this, if that is if I were a betting man, and that is, is that maybe King Nebuchadnezzar is doubtful of the wise men who have gotten fat from his table. What do I mean by that? Maybe King Nebuchadnezzar already has his doubts about his advisors, about the people that influence him, about the people that are supposed to be helpful to him. And in some ways, he knows that if he were to tell him, tell them, that is, the dream that he had, that they would come up with some grandiose conclusion of the reasons why he had that dream. And maybe he's wised up to the fact that these interpreters don't always give the right interpretation. You see, if you didn't know, during this time period, these wise men that would have been in his court likely were from the land of Persia. And in that culture, they actually practiced dream interpretation. So much so that that empire of people developed a handbook in which you can open it and roughly give meanings of interpretations for dreams. In fact, people still do this today. You can even go on Amazon and type in books to help interpret dreams, and you would find books to help interpret dreams. Now, whether those are good books or not, that's another question. But it would have be, been very similar. 
where within their culture, these people would have had some form of formal training to be able to interpret the dreams of Nebuchadnezzar. And I have a feeling that Nebuchadnezzar knew that these interpreters, that these wise men within quotes, weren't as wise as they said. So as a result of that, I think Nebuchadnezzar was trying to expose in some ways the lies that they often spun. Now let's keep on reading in verse 8. Verse, verse or 7 and 8, sorry. Once more they replied, let the king tell his servant the dreams and we will interpret it. Then the king answered, I am certain that you are trying to gain time because you realize that this is what I have firmly decided. So here for me confirms in some ways that Nebuchadnezzar is suspicious of these people. If you do not tell me the dream, there is only one penalty for you. So what is he doing there? He's repeating the fact that he's dead serious about this. You have conspired to tell me misleading and wicked things, hoping this situation will change. So then, tell me the dream, and I will know that you can interpret it for me. Now you might be thinking that while this story is interesting in its own right, it's pretty interesting to see some stakes being played out that are so high, what in the world does this have to do with my life? You see, I think that these people within the king's court oftentimes spoke into King Nebuchadnezzar's life that they oftentimes influenced him in the decisions that he should make, or maybe the decisions that he should not make. In the same ways where we have influencers today, people who influence us. And sure, the times look a little different. Sure, we have this thing called the internet and social media where we can tap into people's lives at the click of a button but the reality is is that there are always people in our lives trying to influence us and we need to be mindful of that do we not that there are always people that are trying to influence us. There's always voices that are trying to encourage us to do certain things or discourage us from doing other things. And we need to be mindful of the influences that we are keeping within our lives. And in fact, I would say we need to even ask ourselves of who is influencing us. So I ask that question to you. Who is your influence? What kind of influences do you have in your life? What are your circles of influence? Because here's the truth, church. We are always being influenced by something or someone. Are we not? In fact, even what I'm doing right now here up on this stage, if you are listening to me with your ears, I am trying to do what? I'm trying to influence you right now. 
So while we are always being influenced, influence isn't a bad thing per se, we need to be mindful of the influences that we are keeping. I hate to say it, but there are good influences in life and there are bad influences in life. And that might sound like a novel idea. Of course, Pastor Kevin, I've raised children. I know there's good influences in life. I know there's bad influences in life. Tell me something I don't know. But we need to understand the practicality of the influences we keep. Here is an honest, honest idea. That if something, or an honest truth in my own life, that if something is broken on my car, there's a higher probability I'm going to ask Phil than I'm going to ask my wife, okay? It's not because I don't love my wife. It's not because I don't want her influence, but she knows nothing about cars. Now, if I'm on a horse, that situation is all of a sudden different. And sorry, Phil, I'm not going to be asking you for any advice, right? In the same way, all of us in this room have different skills and talents and things that we have hopefully committed our lives to in some form of excellence. If you're younger, hear this well, get good at something. And we have influence for that. We have knowledge for that. Hopefully we have some wisdom for that. I hope that the gray hairs that I earn aren't just a product of me being on this earth a long time. I hope I gain some wisdom with them too. That they're representative of me getting a little wiser and smarter in life. There are influences that we listen to. King Nebuchadnezzar was calling out these influencers in his own life. But here's the question. Do you call out the influences in your own? Are you mindful enough to know of the bad influences that you have within your own life? That's a hard question to ask. And maybe the right response to that question is, is, well, Pastor Kevin, I thought that it was very important for us to be influential around people around us so that we can tell them the gospel. And yes, that is absolutely true. We do want to do what? Share with other people the gospel. We want to help other people see the hope of heaven, right? But we still need to be mindful of the influences that we keep. Paul in Corinthians famously told people that he would become everything to everybody to the weak, he would become weak. To do what? To win the weak over. And I have become all things to all people by all possible means so that someone might be saved. There's some truth to that, church. Let me tell you something that I think is very important to know within your Christian life. That it is good to build bridges to other people's lives. That if we were to look at the people who helped bring about the gospel to the world, that they often did this. They often built bridges into other people's lives. For what purpose? To influence them to good things. We need to be that kind of person that's willing to maybe have a relationship with somebody that we wouldn't maybe normally associate with in order to do what? To help the world around us know Christ. 
But we need to be mindful that in doing that work, we don't become taken to their negative influence, but rather that we hold firm to what? To the influence that God calls us to keep as we go out into the world. Does that make sense? So there is a little bit of a dance in this in that we are called to build bridges and influence other people, but in doing that, not lose ourselves to the work of trying to build bridges and influence other people. This is not an easy thing. It is not an easy thing to do at all, because oftentimes it's easier to walk the road that is paved with good intentions instead of the road that leads to righteousness. But we need to be mindful of the influences that we keep in our lives. You know, I believe right now, our country needs people like you to help build bridges with people that don't look like you in order for you to love them and hopefully help influence them for the better. You know, I think the sad reality of the state of affairs that we find ourselves in is that most people are unwilling to have conversations and in, even if they do have conversations it typically turns into what cancel culture where if you don't agree with me you're canceled right if you don't say what's popular within the narrative and repeat the 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 catechisms of our day then what happens well you get canceled that's not a good and healthy thing within our society. In fact, I would say that mo in most cases, that is a terrible and evil way to try to manage society. It is a good thing for us to be able to have conversations and dialogue, but that doesn't also mean that we let every single influence come our way and change us. This is a hard thing to do, church, but it is an important thing. And a question that I oftentimes ask myself, and I now ask you, is are the influences that you're keeping in your life drawing you closer to God, or are they pushing you further away? That is a hard question to ask. Here's something that I don't always understand, and I see it happen all the time, is that people tend to search for advice that already affirms what they believe versus searching for advice that might challenge what they believe. Do you see this? Yeah, I see it all the time. I even see it within the work world. For instance, I know a few years ago I had a buddy of mine who was trying to work on some cabinets. And he was doing some painting and some remodeling in his house. And he needed some advice on how to do a few things. And he was asking me because, you know, I like to work on stuff too. But I told him, you know, for your problem, I don't know if I'm the best person to ask. But guess what? My father's a carpenter. I can call him. And I can ask him what he thinks. And he's been doing this for decades. So we call him. And very quickly... Um, he gives him advice, knows exactly what to do, tells him exactly how to handle the situation. So I check in with this friend a couple of weeks later, and to my surprise, he didn't accept a single piece of advice from my father and did the job in a totally weird and strange way. 
When I asked him why not, he said, well, I called another five people that happen to be carpenters too, and they gave me some different advice or what have you, and I don't even know actually if they were carpenters, but I learned very quickly that oftentimes we just end up seeking out the advice that affirms whatever we want to be affirmed in. We need to be careful with that, though, church, because if you only have people around you, let me just say this much, if the people around you in life are only affirming you, that is saying, oh, yeah, do it, yeah, sure, all the time with whatever it is you're doing or however it is you're living, you probably need new friends, or at least you probably need some better friends. In reality, it is good in life to know people who are better at things we want to become better in. Case in point, if there is something in your life, maybe it's something within your marriage, maybe it's something within your professional life, maybe it's even just something you want to get better at as a hobby. Find a person who's already good at that thing. I do not understand why it is we have this tendency to seek out the person that is struggling in the same way as us, as if they're the person that has the keys to helping us get through that struggle. And don't get me wrong, there is something to say about having a friend who is battling with you, who can relate to you in that struggle. But I believe very firmly that one of the best ways to grow in your faith is to actually find people that are mature than you in your own faith and surround yourself by them to do what? So that you can be influenced and changed by them. I want to have influences in my life that are better than me. Not because... I just want to find people who are better than me or because I want to feel poorly about myself, but because I want to be better than me. Does that make sense? Find people who are succeeding in areas that you lack in. Find those people because chances are they've already walked your road and through doing that, what can happen? you can help them grow in their own journey or you can be growing in your own journey through them. Seek out people who challenge you. You know, I've seen this time and time again. As a runner, I've seen it. In hobbies, I've seen it. In the professional setting, I've seen it. And I've also seen when especially younger people think that they can just figure it out, that they're somehow God's gift to this world, and through doing that, they ask for no advice. If you've ever been a tradesman, you know what I'm talking about. And you know how oftentimes, if someone just asks, you can help avoid, they can help avoid trouble. Well, take your own spiritual life in a similar manner. And try to figure out what are the areas that I'm lacking in. If you are battling with not having peace in your life, find somebody who exudes peace. And then ask them, how is it that you're able to maintain this peace? It's not just because they were born the most peaceful person in the world. 
if you've lived, you've suffered, right, through this life, it's because they're doing something that helps maintain their peace, even if they're already naturally gifted in that area. We need to mind the influences that we have, church. You know, the wise men that were talking to Daniel, they could not handle this situation. In fact, they even say this much. In verse 10, it says, There is no one on earth who can do what the king asks. No king, however great and mighty, has ever asked such a thing of any magician or enchanter or astrologer. What the king asks is too difficult. No one can reveal it to the king except the gods. And they do not live among humans. Verse 12 This made the king so angry and furious that he ordered the execution of all the wise men of Babylon. So the decree was issued to put the wise men to death, and men were sent to look for Daniel and his friends to put them to death. They knew they were in for it. The gig was up, no more growing fat off of the king's table. And yet, who is missing from this whole entire story thus far? Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. For whatever reason, these men are not even considered. And I think that's really interesting, right? The king went to the wrong people. The king trusted his influence to the wrong people. Even if he was suspicious... Of these wise men, he really needed to go to who? To Daniel. And he didn't know this quite yet, but as we'll learn within next week's story, which I think is much more interesting than this week's story in very many ways, Daniel does something so different than how the wise men in the king's court treats this situation, but is such a reminder about how we need to have the right people influencing us. We will eventually see as we continue to travel through the book of Daniel that Daniel builds a reputation of being the right kind of wise men, the right kind of influencer within Babylon. You need those people in your life. You've seen it already flash a couple times on the big, uh, on, on the screen here. The big idea is that we need to be mindful. We need to mind our influences or mind your influence. And the reason why I wrote it in that way is because for this important application point that I want to make today to each of you. You need to mind your influence, church. You need to ask yourself the, the hard question, who am I allowing to influence me in life? What kind of relationships do I have in life that I'm allowing to influence me? Are those the kinds of voices that just affirm every single thing that I do? Or are those the kinds of voices that are willing to call me out on my own stuff? One of the reasons why I love my wife, but in the moment I do not like, like what's happening, is she's honest enough to tell me when I'm being a, a knucklehead. <laughs> Kids, younger crowd in the room, your parents tend to do that for you at times too, even though you don't like it, right? 
We need those influences. Guess what? Somebody does not love you if they're not willing to call you out on the things that you are doing wrong. Because oftentimes that is a sign of love. The fact that somebody's willing to tell you that you're about to go astray or you are going astray. If somebody's just affirming you all the time with what you do, that is not a good influence in your life. So think about the influences that you keep. Do those influences draw you closer to God? Do those influences encourage you to love your spouse? Do those influences encourage you to be in faith community with each other? Do those influences encourage you to pursue righteousness instead of giving into sin? Do those influences encourage you to be honest at the work that you're doing? Do those influences call you to worship God in all that you do, even the most menial of tasks? Or do those influences cause you to complain, cause you to look with wandering eyes towards other people, cause you to hate your state of affairs, cause you to lust for a life that you do not have? Do those influences cause you to feel small in life or cause you to hate other people or cause you to look at people who are not like you with eyes of contempt? Those are hard questions to ask, but we need to ask them, do we not? Now, normally I just have one application, but I'm going to give you two today. That was the first one. Think about the influences you're keeping. If they're bad influences, then you need to seek out the people who are succeeding. If your marriage is struggling, find a couple in the church or somewhere where their marriage is not and maybe ask them for some help or find somebody who's succeeding in an area that you lack in and ask them, hey, could you pray for me? Hey, could I get a cup of coffee with you? I'm really struggling in this area and you seem to not be and I'd love to just spend some time with you figuring that out. This is what community is for. This is why we make it a part of our discipleship here at this church that we call people to connect. Because it's not just about hearing a, a message on Sunday. It's about the community aspect as well. It's in our name, Peace Community, right? Find somebody who's succeeding in an area that you're lacking in. Now here is my second application for you. Consider how you are influencing other people. Because here's the thing, it's really easy to point a finger and say, yep, this person's a bad influence, or yep, this person's a good influence, but what kind of influence are you? What kind of influence are you to your children? What kind of influences are you to your spouse? Are you doing those things? Are you creating in your spouse more contempt towards others? Or are you creating in your children more contempt towards others? Or your coworkers, or whomever it is that God has allowed you to be in life with? And if you're not influencing people well, then take this as an opportunity to get your stuff in right alignment with the Holy Spirit so that you can start to be about the positive change. Because here's the thing, church. As time winds down, as we experience the ebbs and flow of our own society's hardships, because every society... Even every society will go through its times of, of despair. 
we need to look like the people that are not of this world. Amen? And we need to create ourselves through the work of God, through the help of God, a character that resembles his kingdom and not this kingdom. So because of that, mind your influence and take to heart these two application points. Who's influencing you and who are you influencing? Okay? And I know for the second one, I've said, ask yourself, are you a good influence? I'll, I'll add one more step to that one. If you have some skills and you're not sharing them with other people, start sharing them with other people. You know, I remember, and I didn't plan for this in the sermon, but it's a story worth sharing. I remember I was just, uh, I was just sharing this story with my wife. I took a group of, of, of students a few years ago to an Indian reservation in Wyoming. And we were helping with VBS and, and, and doing some missions work there as a, as a local youth group. I remember these boys in particular were all kind of lost. And they really needed to understand themselves a little bit better. What does it mean to be a man? None of them really knew. If I were to go down the line, what does it mean to be a man? What does it mean to be a man? No one would have a coherent answer. So I remember we were, we took the boys aside and we were chopping down wood. And I didn't have a big agenda. But after we finished chopping all the wood, we, uh, I, I created a line in the dirt. Just created a line. And I started piling up pieces of wood, right? And then me and the other male leader, I said, okay, we're doing a wood chucking contest. And I took the wood and we just started throwing it, right? And we started throwing the wood as far as we could. And one of the guys took off his shirt, you know, grabs the wood and throws it as far as he can. And all of a sudden, it was like the tribe came out, you know, and every single boy was ripping off their shirt, throwing the wood as far as he could. And we started through this simple thing of just chucking wood and feeling what it's like to grab something heavy and throw it as far as you can and making a sport out of it, it opened up an opportunity for the boys to hear me in a way that they never saw. And I took a simple thing, like throwing wood, and I used that as a platform to minister to these boys about what does it mean to be a man. And yes, throwing wood is not only what it means to be a man, but it's fun, <laughs> okay? <laughs> if you have something that you're skilled at, if you have an influence worth sharing, look for ways to do it, whether it be to your grandchildren, your children, your coworkers, your spouse, your friends, your family, whomever it is. Don't hide the gift that God has given you. Amen? Let's pray.